All right, so, hey, uh, we're going through Origins where uh, the previous two weeks uh, we started out talking about uh, the creation um, story, which Pastor Eric did a great job. And then last week he talked about the fall and just uh, what happened from the ideal state of perfection, uh, how God created the world and, and how it all kind of came undone. And now we're moving into call and, and what that looks like for us as people of faith, as individuals, and as a church. Uh, a couple of questions that Pastor Eric has asked each week, and I'm going to continue in that tradition. The, the first one, I guess this whole series is kind of based on the whole idea of comic books, uh, superheroes, I guess supervillains too. They all have like their origin stories where they find out or uh, where you find out how they got the pa- their powers. So like Spider-Man, he was, but not just any spider. Be a radioactive spider. Uh, and then, uh, let's see, what's another superhero? Batman. Batman. Yeah, he, like, he, like, what's his origin story? Money, Money. yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> yeah he, he's just a, a wealthy guy. I was, like, thinking the other day about uh, the Green Lantern. Like, is he the worst superhero ever? Like, what's your superpower? I, I grow green. Green. I'm a green lantern. Ooh. So I, I don't know. How did how, anybody know how the green lantern got his? An alien crashed and he became green. All right. Yeah. I, well. <laughs> so, but each week, uh, Pastor Erica said, like, how do you get your power as far as uh, the, us, as far as the Christ? And honestly, every week I've been like, oh, 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 I know this one. And, uh, and it's actually, it's found in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 11. And, and this is our origin story. This is our power. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give you life to your he'll give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. And really those of us who are followers of Christ, like our origin story, like our our origin story is based in the Holy Spirit and what Christ did for us. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead indwells in us to live triumphant victorious lives in the, in the name of Christ. So, you know, that is our origin story. Our origin story is, is God's love and him uh, inviting us into the perfect community um, and to indwell and let the Holy Spirit indwell in us. The other question that Eric is asked each week is this, what sets you apart? And uh, he's had us read this each week uh, together, and we're going to continue in that tradition. So it'll come up if you'll read with me. We are set apart by the themes of creation, fall, call, and covenant. And these themes begin in Genesis, run through the Bible, and fulfilled in Jesus, and continue to the end of Scripture. You have the dyslexic guy lead people in reading. Good jokes, right? So that's like a lot of people when I'm reading scripture and everything, they're like, what translation do you use? I'm like, oh, the dyslexic version. So uh, 
So I wanted to add one more question uh, to this because one thing that has been a passion of mine just as a pastor is helping people find their call. Really, uh, when I see somebody who is living um, a life in Christ but not feeling empowered to be part of the larger story of God, is not living a life that, that weaves them into that, that fabric of that story, it really, uh, it's difficult for me. So um, one big question, or the next question is, who is called? And I think really that the question to ask God is not, have I been called? But it is, what have I been called to do? And this, this is the reality. If you are a follower of Christ, that you are called. You are called to a greater purpose. That you have uh, been called to the larger call of, of God. You've been called to the larger call of Christ. That you've been called to be a blessing in this world. And really, it is our job to relentlessly pursue what that manifests itself as. What is our part in the kingdom of God? One of my favorite verses is Ephesians 2.10, which reads, for we are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus to do the things that he has planned for us long ago. I live under the reality and truth and am motivated by that I do not believe one person is an accident. I don't believe God makes accidents. I believe that we are part of being, uh, are part of God's masterpiece, part of his plan, and that he has planned for us to do something, that there is something undone in this world that, that he has envisioned us to do. And this is really a large, uh, in large sense, the, the call of Abraham that we will get into. The next thing that, that kind of digs a little bit deeper and kind of puts an exclamation point on this reality is found in Psalms chapter 139. Listen to this. You, are, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. Knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watch me as I uh, was being formed in utter, utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And I think as we look at Abram's call and as we hopefully translate that into your call and what your part of the, of the kingdom story, of the gospel story, is that, that it will be we will feel a sense of freedom to be able to move forward, that, that we will be freed from our past, that we will be freed from any fear of making a mistake in the future. Because the reality is, is that God has not made a mistake in you. The reality is that God has a plan, not only for you as an individual, but how you partner with other followers of Christ to make up the body of Christ. 
So if you turn to your Bibles in Genesis chapter 12, this is where we're going to pick up to talk about the call of Abram. Now, before Abraham was called Abraham, his name was Abram. So what do we know about Abram slash Abraham? Well, number one, we know that Abraham was very rich. That we know from Scripture that dude had a lot of cattle and land and, and workers and stuff. He was a rich dude. The second thing we know is that he was 75 years old at his calling. Now, I think this is really, really important, and this is one of the drums that I, I like to beat. You know, that it, I have a holy discontentment with, with kind of America wanting to retire. Like our whole work lives is, is revolves around this idea of retirement. And you know what? The reality is, and we see in the story of God, and we'll see in the story of, of Abram, that, that, you know what? You know, moving to the villages isn't the ultimate goal <laughs> in life, right? That Abram was 75 years old when he got his call. And there's no Social Security or Medicaid or Medicare or, or anything that, that, you know what? He was starting, and you know what? Life expectancy keeps on going up and up and up, and some of our best years are going to be our years from 65, 75, 85, and on. And just imagine what we can do in those 10, 15, 20, 30 years that God's entrusted to us. So he was 75 years old at the time of his call. The next one was... He had a hot wife. Abraham, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm just telling you in the Bible, it says that Abram had a very hot, smoking hot wife, and, and she was 10 years younger than him. So she was 65, just a young, young chick there. Uh, so and this is important to the story of, of Abram. And then finally, this one's a real kicker. It was 25 years from call to fulfillment. Now, this is important because we live in such a microwave culture that, you know, that we want instant success, that, that we, want, we want to be internet sensations. We want to, you know, have our YouTube video go viral. We want, you know, our music, you know, to become overnight successes. But really in the paradigm of God, you know, sometimes that happens, but sometimes it doesn't that sometimes it takes a lot of years for, for God's vision to be realized in your life and in the world. And we have to be prepared for the long haul, that, that following Christ is not a sprint, it is a marathon. So, in verse 1 in chapter 12, we... Uh, Abram gets the call from God. Scripture says it this way. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your families, or your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. 
I will bless those who bless you and curse those who tr uh, treat you with contempt. All the, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, again, the reality here is this promise is coming to Abram at 75 years old. His wife, uh, Sarai, who becomes Sarah later, is 65 years old. She is barren, and they have zero kids. So there's a lot of issues with this calling, right? I mean, it's not a slam dunk by any, any stretch of the imagination. It's not like, you know, he had 15 kids and, and he's 25. It, there's a lot of questions like, whoa, wait a second, God. You know, you, you are going to, uh, you know, make me, uh, you are going to make me into a great nation? Well, if you haven't, you know, you know, if you haven't noticed, you know, I'm an old dude. If you haven't noticed, my wife's smoking hot, but she's no spring chicken either. We have no kids. Like a lot of questions that, that come up. You know, you want me to leave everything that I know? Like this is where my support group is. This is where my father's family is. You want me to go? You know, what's this, you know, like... You're going to curse those who curse me and bless those who bless me. How is all of that going to work? And I think, you know, that when we look at, at the, the call of Abram, that, that on its surface, I think if we're honest with each other, that it, it raises a lot more questions than uh, answers that are given. And I think so many of us, a lot of times when we think about call, we think if God just told me what to do, then I would just go and do it. Like I would be so faithful. Just make it clear, God, and we'll go and do it and, and it'll be awesome. You know, high five, God. But as you see when this comes, like, wait a second, God, I, I have all of these, these questions. I don't know how this is going to work out. This has been true in, in my life. When I came to faith at 25, and, and I, I, my whole life was patterned toward making money and commerce up into that point, and just like, wait a second, God, you know, what happens if I shift my focus to things that matter to you versus the things that just matter to me? What does that look like? Later on, you know, when God called my family and I to sell our business and to move to Tallahassee from Los Angeles, there are questions about how that's going to all work out, right? A lot of times that, you know, call has more questions than answers. And sometimes we think, you know, we're done. We, we, we have done everything that we're meant to do. Honestly, when I came with my family and we planted Element 3 Church, I thought I was done. I thought that was my final calling. And you know what? God has now shifted me into a new calling to step down from lead pastor to uh, lead the charge on, on Red Eye and, and to help create a sustainable revenue sources for gospel initiatives in the future. But believe me, there's a lot of questions about that calling and not a whole lot of answers at this point. And one thing that I've realized again and again and again, like Abram, 
realize again and again and again is that, you know what? Calling is a long-term thing. That you don't get all these answers immediately. The other thing that I realize about God and calling, and if you give your life to him, is you ain't done until God says you're done. All right? That's just the reality of it. You may think you're done, but if you are truly a follower of Christ, you are not done until God says you are done. You don't get to retire and say, I'm done. God will have something in store for you. As long as you are breathing in oxygen and exhaling, you know, carbon dioxide or whatever it is, you know what? You're not done. You know how you know when you're done? You're in heaven. (laughs) Then you're done. And then he's got something else for you to do. Verse 4, so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Lot was his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and and headed to the land of Canaan. Now, one of the coolest stories and the most terrifying stories in the New Testament is the rich young ruler, right? Where where the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, Jesus, you're really cool. Can I follow you? And Jesus is like, yeah, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And I think a lot of times outside of context, you think, oh, that's what I have to do. I, you know, I have to be in poverty and I have to sell everything in order to follow Christ. But that's not the story of the Bible. You know, the interesting thing is that that God calls us as individuals, that he knows what's in our hearts. And he calls us as individuals, but invites us into the larger picture of the church. And here, the God's not telling Abraham or Abram to leave all his wealth. That's that's not the issue. What the issue is, what do you need in order to fulfill your call? What is holding you back? For the rich young ruler, his identity was in his money. With Abraham or Abram, his identity is not in his money. In fact, that God's going to use those resources to, to bless the nations as we see later on in the story. Verse 6, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp besides the uh, oak of Moreh. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to you, to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. So here again, we have a promise and a call. But also this call, even though God's showing them the land, there's one problem. What's that? There's people living there. 
that, that he's like, all right, this is your land. It's like, all right, thanks, God. But there's like the Canaanites there, and they already have their, you know, stationery printed out with their address on it. You know, they get their mail here. Like, how is this going to work out? Well, God works it out. Again, your call many times will bring up more questions than answers. So I want to talk about three things about calling and just uh, kind of three realities about calling and what makes up calling. The first one is a calling, uh, faith is a call into the unknown. Faith is a call into the unknown. It's just the reality of what we do. That when you, and it's one of the things I love about following Jesus is I never know where I'm going to be. I never know who I'm going to be meeting. I never know what is happening next. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews writes it this way, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. This is, the, this is the truth about faith is that it is just a confidence in what we hope for will actually happen. There's no guarantees. There's no contracts. There's just this, this sense of, you know what? The, the, the downside in, and my fear of the, of the status quo being it until I assume room temperature is greater than taking this step out in faith and to experience all that God has for me. The second one is that we are all called by grace. You know, this Abraham or Abram, not a saint. Dude messed up a lot. Like I was telling you, he had a hot wife. You know what he had, what happened when he went to Egypt? He got into Egypt and he was afraid because his wife was so smoking hot that they were going to kill him and take his wife. So you know what he did? He told his wife, hey, tell them you're my sister so they won't mess with me. So she did that and... They took her and, you know, and you can read it for yourself, but you could probably imagine. They'd tell you, that wouldn't fly in my household. Like, I'd be way dead before, like, that we even got into that. But he was a flawed dude that we see again and again that, that we are all called by grace. That the heroes of the Bible were flawed people, but they were called by grace. And... We are not excluded from ministry because of our past experiences. That our past experiences prepare us for ministry. Prepare us for our calling. Prepare us to do the things that God has planned for us long ago. Now, again, that's not a license to go out and, and try to mess up because, you know what, there's consequences and their pain, and, I, and God and, and I truly don't want that for you. But the reality is that you can't run from your call. Ask Jonah. 
Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, 16. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Apostle Paul writing this. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. I don't know if you know the story of the Apostle Paul, but the Apostle Paul wasn't always the Apostle Paul. God called him to bring the gospel, the good news to the Gentiles. But before that, the Apostle Paul was a Jewish theologian and he called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he was so dedicated to ending the gospel of Christ that he went out and persecuted Christians. In fact, he even participated in the murder of one particular uh, Christian called Stephen. He also was part of persecution where Christianity, Christians fled and they were whipped and they were put in jail. Now, if anybody should have been excluded from Christian ministry, Paul is the dude. But again, God's grace covered Paul. And our call ultimately is covered by grace. Because you know what? If God only called perfect people, there'd be no calls being made. That'd be one silent phone. And finally, God is also for a a call is also for a people, not merely an individual. If you've been around here any length of time or if you've read any of my books or, or blogs or anything, individualistic salvation message that has been perpetrated on the American church has been one of the most destructive kind of teachings that has gone out. You know, this whole idea that it's just between you and Jesus and and nothing else matters, is kakapupu. That's a theological Greek term. <laughs> Actually, the Greek term is skubala. Look it up. So, but uh, Paul used it. It's in the Bible, so it's okay. You know what? Yes, God called you, but he didn't call you just to, like, play a harp in a you know, a room somewhere. He called you into the story. He called you into something larger. He called you into community to be part of the body of Christ where your experience and your insight and your knowledge and your passion is combined with others to make him known. That we are called as a people. We are called as individuals, but we're called as a people. One of my favorite chapters in the New Testament is John chapter 17, where Jesus is talking to God and basically giving a summary of his whole ministry. In this one expert in verse 19, Jesus is saying this to God, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Do you pick that up? Look at the, the, the thread here. 
that Jesus is not just calling or praying for the disciples that were there with him 2,000 years ago. He says, you know what? I am praying for those who become followers of Christ because of these 12. And then those who become followers of me um, because of those and those and those all the way to where we are sitting right now. That in verse 21, that when we hear those words that, that, that Jesus is actually praying for us. Why, why is he praying for us? He's praying this. He's praying that they will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be as one as we are one. I am in them and, the, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. You know getting along with yourself proves to the world Nada, nothing. If you don't get along with yourself, I mean, you got issues, right? But if you get along with yourself, if you're not walking around arguing with yourself, that, like, that's not a big deal. You know what is a big deal? When more than one person gets together and they're unified in something. One of the great things that I love about our church, and I tell people that, that it looks like heaven because it has people with lots of different worldviews and political uh, ideas who come together for one singular purpose. And that is to be made, matured, and mobilized into fully devoted followers of Christ. There's nothing special about getting along with yourself. You know what? There's nothing really special about getting along with other people who think like you. You know what is really powerful in the world? Is when liberals and conservatives and libertarians and Democrats and Republicans and Green Party people come together under one roof and proclaim one God and love him and make him known. That is a miracle that only happens in one organization on earth. And that is the church of Jesus Christ. Again, Ephesians 2.10, for we, not I, but we together are God's masterpiece. He has created us, not just me, but us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the things he planned for us long ago. I could not plan a church by myself. It took people who gave money and time and effort and expertise and served and did a whole bunch of other stuff. I just happened to be the guy on Sunday and go, yak, 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 yak. You know what? Red Eye is growing not because of me, but because 
our board, our baristas, our managers, because of you guys, because the community of Tallahassee has come together and said, you know what? We're going to participate in this to make the world a better place. Great things happen when we come together for a singular purpose. I want to land on this. For those of you who don't know what your calling is, you don't know what your part in the kingdom is, and even those who who do, I want to leave you with what I'm calling the follower's prayer. And it's found in Psalm chapter 25, verses 4 and 5. And I'm going to read you this prayer, but I'm going to encourage you to pray this prayer every day until you have clarity on your part in the kingdom of God. Here's our prayer. is written in Psalm 25. Show me the right path. O Lord, point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me. For you are the God who saves me. All day long, I put my hope in you. Show me the right path, God. Point me to the road to follow. There's lots of roads. Should I do this? Should I do that? Point me in the right road. Lead me by your truth and teach me to know truth because you are the God who saved me. I didn't save me. Hillary or or Trump didn't save me. Barack Obama didn't save me. Ronald Reagan didn't save me. You saved me. And I put my hope in you, not in a political system, not in an organization, not in my bank account, but I put my faith and hope in you. You guys pray with me. Thank you.